Okay, we're back for more with Three Point Range. And this is the post-Super Bowl, post-Duke Carolina edition. And um, I'm Mike Berardino, joined as always by Kimball Crossley and the man who will lead us off right on the scene, our man on the spot in Chapel Hill to tell us just what is going on Get to the <laughs> bottom of this, the professor, Tim Crothers. What is going on? <laughs> Well, boys, greetings from UNC, yes, the University of North covid Lina. We are so proud. Uh, back in August, I remember distinctly UNC made the national news as the poster children for college COVID. Um, we held classes in person for a few weeks, and then after several dozen hundred COVID clusters broke out on campus, we retreated to remote school amid a national shaming that everybody around here was just incredulous about. How could they, if this is happening everywhere, how come they're picking us to be shamed? Well, did we learn our lesson? Uh, no. I was, I was walking on Franklin Street in downtown Chapel Hill. Yes, the Franklin Street on, on the eve of the Duke game this past weekend when I was asked if I thought UNC students would rush Franklin Street as we tend to do if the Tar Heels beat Duke on Saturday. And I said, uh, yeah, probably. And sure enough, there they were in the thousands, jumping bonfires, causing chaos as usual, mostly maskless in the midst of a pandemic. And of course, there was the appropriate incredulous shock and dismay, including our school's chancellor threatening to fine his own students for partying on Franklin Street maskless. And then so frightened by those potential egregious fines were they that Tar Heel basketball players Armando Baycott and Dayron Sharp attended a party on that same night without masks that what was captured on video and let loose on social media on Monday afternoon just hours before UNC was scheduled to host a game against Miami. And the Hurricanes were supposedly so frightened by the irresponsible behavior of UNC's players, wink, that they opted not to lose, I mean, sorry, play the game, and then went back to the Chapel Hill Marriott to probably party maskless instead. <laughs> um, all kidding aside, what are Baycott and Sharp thinking? I mean, clearly they're not. Uh, you know, I mean, UNC is still, uh, even after beating Duke, is still firmly on the NC tournament bubble, NCAA tournament bubble, and uh, it just it just leave, leaves me to imagine for a second, what if UNC doesn't make the tournament because they stupided themselves out of the most likely win they have left on their schedule? If that happens, they got exactly what they deserve: quarantine during March Madness. What do you guys think? Well, I, I think you nailed it, Tim. And, and just I taking away like the COVID ideas. I mean, yes, it's, it's crazy, whatever. Um, but I'm just like, I couldn't believe when I even saw a video of the celebration, I was just like a little shamed, like, because we beat Duke, which is now seven and seven. And I'm like a big believer in like, you know, act like you've been there before and I'm just like gosh the celebration over this 
it it discourages me. And it, and just when I think the team is it's getting better, it's been playing better the last month or so. But I'm just like, if you guys, you know, then so the players go and they celebrate. And if you guys think we've done so much, and just the the way you know, uh, Caleb Love was celebrating himself on the court, still committing five turnovers, but yet thinking he had done something amazing. It's just not what great teams do. It's just not like it's just not what you know to be so foolish. And it's just like, uh and so yeah, they it's it's hard to get behind this team when when that's how they react when it should be just like, yeah, we we finally played better and finally beat Duke. We've had trouble against Duke and this is not the best Duke team, but you know, we got our eyes on getting better and actually, you know, doing something in the tournament. Well, there that goes. As you, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a, another moment of our degrees being devalued just a bit in a national <laughs> perspective. It's happened before. I still believe our degrees have excellent value, but um, you know the 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 uh, Ivy of the <laughs> maybe, not. maybe not maybe not the Ivy of the South thing is a little harder to uh, maintain <laughs> when uh, those sorts of uh, highlights are out there and. Um, you know, COVID fatigue is there. It's been there everywhere, especially on the college campuses. You know, Notre Dame had to shut down here in South Bend. Notre Dame had to shut down back in August when the, the, the kids showed up and immediately started going to off-campus parties. And, um, and of course, Father John Jenkins showed up at the White House lawn at the Amy Coney Barrett uh, thing, and that was uh, about the, the least uh, responsible thing by any uh, university uh, head uh, that happened uh, that was – captured and, and certainly he apologized but by then you know it was, it was too late and so anybody who's on the board and, and notre dame rushed the field as students after they upset clemson up here and were questioned for that even though they they had to be tested to be in the stands but there's so much gray area about the idea of you know when how much uh, time has to elapse between a negative test and then maybe you were positive at some point you become positive but that was just Tim knew that it was coming. If he said that on the eve of the game, he knew that it was something like that would happen. But maybe not to that extent. So disappointed. We're disappointed. We're the we're the old guys. But even if I think even if we were students, active students, we'd have to be disappointed that um, that the the brand was damaged to that extent. And in the, the players, um, yes, act like you've been there before. But also you're letting down. Your teammates, you're letting down your coach, you're letting you no doubt the players, yes, they have COVID fatigue. They have many cases in virtually all the major universities of basketball programs. They're giving up the most of their experience because they're essentially just there for our entertainment. And we've talked about this on previous shows, but um, those, you know, for two of them, it's not like the entire roster ran down there. Two guys let down the rest of the team and endangered potentially what all the sacrifice was for, ostensibly, which was to uh, line the coffers with a few more million and, and maybe uh, extend uh, some postseason streaks. But, um, yeah, that's... Can uh, I ask our reporter on the street a couple of questions while yes, you're down there, Tim? Right ahead. Yeah. Sure. Tim, so first of all, is like, does every win over Duke result in this lately? I mean, I haven't been in Chapel for anything like that absolutely time. yes uh, every win overdue yep uh here there anywhere yes is a is is like uh catnip that's that means it's party time okay and then and then is is chapel hill i mean you might not have been around the country much but is chapel hill is it a a, 
a sort of a COVID denier area, like like you go around Chapel Hill and, or is this sort of isolated some, a couple of these events? No, I don't think, I mean, Chapel Hill, as you guys know, is is the liberal bastion of, of North Carolina. And, and for the most part, I think, uh, you know, people get it and have been have been reasonably respectful of of the situation up to now but uh, I can tell you that you know you you guys both know that I that I am a teacher on campus and coincidentally today was the first day that we were uh, allowed to return to in-person classes we've been <laughs> we've been remote classes uh, basically since we shut down in uh, in August, and today was finally the first day that we were allowed to to, to have students back in the classroom. Um, I I asked on Wednesday in our last class uh, how many people plan to attend in person, and I have twenty kids in my class. I, I think sixteen of them raised their hand, expecting fully expecting to come in person to class today. And uh, I went into the classroom today, did uh, did my class. And I had two people show up. Oh, <laughs> two. I mean, everyone else was on Zoom, and you know why? Because basically, you know, the campus is is a is a ghost town because of all this all this that's gone on. Um, oh. You know, everybody is just spooked by it, and uh, and it's completely you know that it all happened. You know, all of all of that stuff happened between my last class and this class, and and my attendance went from sixteen in person to two because of it. And I think we're, I think that's what we're we're looking at for the foreseeable future. They actually offered us after all this all this went down on uh, on Saturday night. We got an email from 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 the powers that be saying, you know what, students don't seem to really care about whether they go back to class or not, obviously. So you guys don't have to come in and do your your in-person classes if you don't want to. You can you can kill another week of going going uh, online. And uh, I thought about it because I really don't think that uh, any student who was on Franklin Street that night deserves for me to go and teach him in person, he, he, he or she in person. But uh, But I went to class anyway just to see what would happen. And sure enough, we had to. Wow. Those two, uh, do they have their mask up over their nose? <laughs> really annoying. Yeah, everybody, you know, everybody who's on campus knows that that they they will be scorned if they're not, uh, you know, if they're not if they're not following the mask rules. But as soon as you get off campus, all hell breaks loose. Did you go Calipari and double mask? I did not double mask. I've, ah. ne I've never double masked. I probably should, but no, I've never, I've never double masked. If that's the teacher the, who was in my classroom before was double masked. I think it's probably the way to go. I have yet to do it. I've done it a couple of times when running shipped orders. That's a nice little shipped mask I put up over <laughs> the main one, but that's it. Uh, but yeah, it's probably advisable. So we're all, we are suitably um, astounded and, and aghast and, and uh, don't, don't do that again. Don't do that again down there. Um, all right. Well, there was another. Um, thank you for that on-site uh, <laughs> man on the street reporting and and, uh -huh. uh, and be safe. Be safe now. <laughs> now the fact that you let off, Tim. Again, you can you can uh, go into the uh, 
reverie that you prefer at this stage. And Kimball and I will now talk about the Super Bowl. And you can pop in if you feel like it, or you can just tune out and just get that second mask fitted properly. So mm-hmm. there was another uh, big sporting event. Apparently, I'm going to get on, on, I'm going to get tested. Actually, no, you go get tested. Live tested. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be back. I'll be back later. I got to get tested. All right. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so let's go to Kimball now because um, in advance of the Super Bowl, uh, Tom Brady's uh, 47th uh, Super Bowl uh, victory, apparent uh, or something like that. Uh, Kimball was pretty wary of the of the uh, the goat, I guess. Um, anyway, and he could see this coming. And we've talked a lot of Brady in the last week and the lost pain level and all that. He told us that he really wasn't that worried about this game in terms of his LPL patent pending. But how much did that one hurt, Kimball? Well, you know, the, the formula helped. It, I knew going in it's, a, it's both a predictive uh, tool and, you know, um, <laughs> a diagnosis, uh, diagnosis tool after an event. And I could tell, you know, going into both games this weekend that I was going to be okay. And um, uh, But, you know, you never know because some things arise. So... Bottom line, the UNC Duke game, uh, I was definitely more on edge. You know, I definitely, especially, you know, how it goes down matters. And if they had blown that game the way they've blown some of these other ones late, it was going to be like I was scared. I was scared of my pain level. Um, you know, I believe you texted me that, and I and I quote, that was torture. Yes, <laughs> I, can, yes, I can confirm. Yeah. Yes. And so, so. That was interesting. And then, you know, Super Bowl, I felt very safe because, again, you know, there were a lot of factors other than Brady that really weren't, you know, my pain uh, threshold, my uh, pain level was not in danger. Um, But some things happened, obviously, that raised a little bit. But in the end, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. And especially today, I live in the Boston area, New England, and, it, you know, hearing all the people talk about all the New England fans are a little bit bitter about Tom being gone and whatever. And so again, that <laughs> there you go, Kim. You like Shout that. in Freud. That, that makes me feel better and balances out the Brady effect. And and again, I I've you know, Brady the human being does not seem like a bad guy, honestly. But I just want to say about that game, like, first of all, you guys saw it. Like, did you see it was amazing how Tom Brady sacked Mahomes? And how about the time <laughs> Brady intercepted Mahomes a couple of times? And then and then Brady got the officials to make these pass interference calls. That was great. Did you see how Brady made the Kansas City punter shank a couple with his pressure? Or how about Tom Brady using his Jedi mind tricks to make Kansas City use those timeouts at the end of the first half? That was insane. And then Tom Brady made Casey jump off sides on that field goal, which was crazy, which really hurt the Chiefs' chances. And, of course, Tom Brady shut down the Kansas City running game. And, of course, Tom Brady, he made those Chiefs commit those dumb personal fouls that they got and the officials to call them. So, yeah, of course, he's amazing. He did what he could do, um, what only he can do. All right, so that's my point here, guys. All right, Tom Brady, I'm not going to deny he's the GOAT. I'm denying, he, he, he played well. He, he played very well. He managed the game. He did what he does. He he hit his guys. He, he, he called the right plays. Down and distance were all really sharp. They moved the ball. Okay, plus, I give him credit. You know, he did seem to bring this team together. You did watch this team grow as the course of the season, and it was so interesting how they went from being one of the most penalized teams to one of the least penalized teams. And I have to give you know some of that credit, uh, and I really do think he does appear to be a great leader. You know, but still, it just amazes me those other factors that I was referring to earlier, like 
Why? Why? The last two Super Bowls he's won in an offensive year against two great offenses, the defense, which he has nothing to do with, has not given up a touchdown. He hasn't given up a touchdown. Kansas City did not score a touchdown. The Rams, a couple years ago, did not score a touchdown. Why does he get these breaks, too? Why does he get these calls? Why, why does he get, like, people melting down? And, again, that inexplicable, inexplicable, we all saw it coming, those timeouts by Andy Reid. Because let me just say about those, look, if you think you have enough time to score when you get the ball, you're giving them that much time with your timeouts to score because they're not starting from any worse position than you would be. They're on about the 20 or 30. They're not on the five. They're not on the two. It wasn't second and nine. They were like the 30 midfield. So if they punt and you get the ball back without your timeouts, you're going to have to do the same thing they would have done. So why would you do that? Especially when it's when they got a few yards. It's like third and two. Like, okay, just maybe pump the brakes. You just like saw it happening, train wreck, whatever. So yes, there was some pain, obviously. But it's not that bad. <laughs> and now I can rest in peace because... Football season's over. All these crazy little things and terrible pass interference calls. And Tom Brady can just put it to bed now. And we can move on to other stories like, wow, is Carson Wentz really going to get traded? That's so exciting. All right, boys, what do you got? Well, I, I just wonder if uh, if the um, the opposite of Kimball out there in the universe in terms of Brady is Jim Nance. It, it seems like the main crush on Jim Nance has on Brady. It just it just bubbled over from the outset to the point where Tony Romo was outwardly razzing Tim Nance, uh, Jim Nance during the game. He was he was he was, was he said the weird things, un Romo like things. He he got away from just predicting the game when when uh, Nance let us know that this was his one hundredth career call of a Tom Brady game and Romo let him have it. And, <laughs> and then he came back. He said, Oh, Romo said, uh, yeah, before the game, uh, Oh, I, I maybe Nate said that, that, uh, Brady came out real early, a couple hours before the game was just gazing around the stadium. And then Romo said, and you were gazing down at him. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, uh, you know, how could you not be jealous? If you're Tony Romo, how could you not be a little jealous? Of what Brady has, and Romo never could even get to the uh, game. Like Romo then, doesn't gush over Pat Mahomes, and then oh, <laughs> sure, but but the gym, but the Nancy, and of course it followed all the way to the post game presentation where the, there was that moment of, of of confusion where it appeared the gym Nance was suggesting Tom Brady should have more children, and Brady gave him a double take, <laughs> and more to come, right? And it, maybe they were going to work on it themselves, but but it didn't happen that way. It actually, was he was referring to more. More football. Do we have had to say more football? But uh, it's just, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's a, it's, it was so predictable. I, I would like to point out that I did stick with my bucks plus three and a half wager, and it was for a very small amount. But I did not play the middle. But I did play a lot of other silly things. And to one of Kimball's previous things was the uh, uh, all the prop bets. There was a prop bet that I was very proud I showed restraint I stayed away from. This is the last thing I'll say. Uh, there was something, I don't know if you mentioned this, uh, DraftKings allowed us to bet on whether there any field goal or extra point attempt would hit an upright or a crossbar. It was it was called the doink bet. And, oh and, and the odds on a doink happening were much, much higher, something like 5-1 to one than, than not, and because these kickers are all pretty much robots, so I stayed away. I was going to do it. It's going to be fun to root for a doink of some sort, and I backed off. And I just, I just watched. Uh, well, I and one other thing, 
I don't think I mentioned last time we were talking about would would Tom would things ever even out for Tom Brady if they should ever even out because now I'm seeing there's like you know Inside Edition had some lady on tonight Tom's favorite smoothie the smoothie he is go to smoothie all I can say is I just say this is I'm not casting aspersions but I've already said the man appears to have had work done on his face etc as seems pretty clear J Unipro uh, Sarah High School. Two most famous products, Bing. Tom Brady, Barry Bonds. That's all I'll say. Okay. Ooh. Uh, okay. Well, I've come up with a few things to talk about during the during this uh, diatribe you just went off on. Uh, one is that I have sent my resume to to uh, Andy Reid to apply to be his clock coach because yeah, I do think there was there were some issues there for sure. Uh, two, I, I, it, I think it proves once and for all our suspicion that, that Tom Brady is a regular listener to three-point range because <laughs> during that, uh, during that uh, postseason Jim Nance love fest that you were talking about, um, I, I, do, I did notice a lot of Tom Brady around his kids, and Mike, you'll be pleased to see. I, I, I assume that there was no kissing on the mouth. Not one time <laughs> did he kiss any of his children on the mouth that I could see. I mean, well, I'm glad he reined that in finally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then lastly, I, the, the talk of betting does, did bring me back to a rather dark day and anniversary in my, in my personal history. And that is uh, another Monday after a Super Bowl. Uh, I, 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 I made my very first bet ever on the Super Bowl um, when I was in the third grade um, it was, it was a bet on Super Bowl seven, the Dolphins versus the Redskins. Um, and it was a, the guy, I still remember the guy's name was Rick Heeman. I made a bet with Rick Heeman. Um, Rick took the Dolphins, um, and I took the Redskins and we bet straight up a nickel a point. <laughs> And for me, uh, that bet went as well. Talk about a ding. That bet went about as well as that Gary Yepremian famous pass in that game. Uh, Mike's beloved Dolphins won 14-7. to And, yes, I did bet against the only team in NFL history to complete an undefeated season. I thought you were a Dolphins fan. When did that start? Uh, it must have happened after that. Uh, <laughs> probably right after that. Yeah. Can't beat him, join him. There you go. Um, but uh, if I remember correctly, and I do, Rick Heeman was a little too cheerful on Monday when I forked over that day's lunch money. And uh, because it's my new hobby and I need something for my peeps to do, I had him look up Rick Heeman on LinkedIn. And uh, he's an investment banker and real estate developer. He still live, <laughs> lives in my hoity-toity town that I grew up in. And uh Kimball will appreciate. I, I think Rick is basically the golden boy, the Tom Brady of, of the business world, and he probably used my thirty-five cents as seed money. No question, that's for his money. amazing career. I turned that thirty-five cents into three point five million dollars. <laughs> right. Um, and meanwhile, know, I'm stuck with you guys, you boneheads, breaking in eleven you, cents a podcast. You deserve some more credit. For, I can't believe you, this hasn't come up, but. We, by the way, they should call them doink bets instead of prop bets from now on. I think that's more appropriate. But you nailed it. I, you know, and, I, and I've thought this too, the whole thing about someone spying on the national anthem beforehand mm -hmm. and getting the time. Do you know that happened? I it didn't. Was a it was a relatively big story. Some guy um, 
he he spied on it he timed it he posted it on like twitter it got mm. all the circulation and supposedly vegas had to remove that bet and i'm like what took so long so yeah you were right on that you know as often you are so congratulations oh i appreciate you pointing that out i i was not aware of that but i i really do think it's uh it's a loophole that needed to be closed yeah yeah, it's another example of the listenership, though, of this show just skyrocketing and, <laughs> and just the, you know, there's just an amplification of it. It's not the, the, the total numbers of listens. It's the all the people that have, have contact with our listeners. And that's right. obviously a huge, huge number. This is Three Point Range. And uh, we also have a sub stack uh, where you can get more information on what we've already referred to, the lost pain level. It's all broken down there, and it's completely scientific, and you're going to want to see that, print it out, laminate it, all that, put it over your workstation uh, for future reference. You're going to want to check out our Facebook page, Three Point Range. Uh, you can like it, follow it, uh, comment there. Your best places to find this podcast, anchor.fm, uh, Stitcher. Spotify, Google, and a variety of others. And um, Twitter is another place that you can weigh in. Maybe suggest a topic. We may be to the point where there's a, you guys kind of know how we think, and maybe you'd like to push us out on a limb of your choosing. And if you suggest a topic, uh, seeing as I usually am the last one to arrive at a topic and have done so again, I, I'll just talk about that, about that uh, next time. Whatever it is, I'll become... Uh, completely up in arms about it. So our last uh, point, uh, another Super Bowl point would be, and, and this again uh, echoes of a previous show, you really do need to go back and listen to all of them. Um, but uh, we talked about, well, the Eric Bieniemy aspect uh, uh, weeks ago during the, the, the playoffs themselves and how you know, the, general, the general perception among the NFL media was that Eric Bieniemy was the one uh, – black coaching candidate who was getting short shrift and all of this. And one of the things that we talked about was that the Fritz Pollard Alliance had been advocating for a couple of years now to just have a moratorium on hirings, NFL head coach hirings until after the Super Bowl. Just just put it on on hold and um, give everyone whose teams are involved in the postseason a chance to be interviewed with a clear mind and not uh, – with the uh, game plans running through their heads and um, and have a full opportunity to rise as high as they should or could in the coaching world. And so it, it, I think you could not watch that game yesterday as Kimball was uh, jokingly alluding to all the work Tom Brady did. Well, yes, the Buccaneers defense was outstanding, but it's been outstanding for a while. It was the number one rush defense for the past two years in all the league. Todd Bowles is, and this is the Jets' I'd like to hear the Jets fan perspective when we're done with this. But Todd Bowles suddenly, on the day after the Super Bowl, is hot again. He's the defensive coordinator of the Bucks. Byron Leftwich was the offensive coordinator, but somehow he gets overshadowed by all that Brady and his friends, including the resurgent Gronk, can do. But this Todd Bowles, who I had uh, covered in Miami when he was on the defensive staff and he was interim coach, filled in for the late Tony Sperano, went 2-1, and one, got no run at all, got a courtesy interview at that time, and then went on to the Jets, had a 10-win season as a head coach, and then it went south, and he ended up losing that job, and resurfaced as Bruce Arians' offense coordinator, he played, or defensive coordinator, he played at Temple uh, as a collegian for Bruce Arians, there's great 
uh, affection between those two and belief, and there should be. So at 57, Todd Bowles is a hot commodity again. And if these openings still existed, that seven to seven openings, you'd have to believe he'd have a shot at one of them. It was to the point that there was a report that Bruce Arians might even step aside so Todd Bowles could take over in Tampa. At the very least, there could be a succession plan in place. I'm just the point just being that I like that idea. Again, I'm reminded I jotted down the fact that uh, all all these would have been missing if you were now, say, Philadelphia, where they had a disastrous apparent. I watched some of it, a disastrous head coach introduction of the former Colts uh, coordinator, Nick Sirianni. Um, well, Todd Bowles played at Temple. He coached on the Eagles staff in the past, and he would have been an obvious possibility. He should have been high on their list, but he never even got an interview. So there, all you'd be missing is the Senior Bowl. There's no combine workouts this year in person. Those will all be done on campuses for COVID reasons. Free agency, the league year, doesn't start until March 18th. We have a ways to go there. And the draft isn't until, as always, the end of April. So wake up, NFL. If you, if you have Roger Goodell showing up at the Super Bowl year after year and trying to apologize and saying, you know, we, sh- we need to do better, we need to do better, need to have a more diverse coaching, head coaching group, this is one way to do it. And um, so Fritz Pollard Alliance has it right. Now, Kimball, how how do you recall the Todd Bowles era as a head coach? Because with the Jets, I don't remember much about it. Basically, it was the Herman Edwards era all over again. I mean, they, they did some things really well. They I thought they played hard. They usually played smart and didn't, like, make a lot of penalties. But very unimaginative. They definitely, if Todd Bowles can get a job he needs to bring tim crothers as his time management coach just the way herman edwards needed one you know just so you know bottom line i think he's a good man a good defensive coordinator i would not want him as my head coach um and also there might be something to he kind of ran off some guys it was kind of cool in a way he seemed like he was disciplinary and demanded a lot of his players but you know it turned some of the other guys off i don't know if like uh he obviously had some some uh personalities on this team you know if he's if he has more say does he run them off over time you know does it implode you know but I think he definitely has some good qualities but that's I I wouldn't want him as a head coach I don't know anything about Todd Bowles so I won't I won't uh, try to comment on that but I will I will say that pivoting back to Eric Bieniemy, I think it's it's kind of fascinating that not only does Eric Bieniemy not have any of those seven jobs that were open as far as I know, he doesn't have any job at all right now. Um, from what I was from what I was reading last week, it does it does not sound as if the, he has currently has a contract with the Chiefs. So um, I don't know what what to make of that exactly. Um, that the Chiefs have not fe- felt the need to to sign him to a deal that that would uh, that would at least keep him in Kansas City uh, if none of these if he doesn't get another job. But uh, it's funny how one's fortunes can change over the course of a month or two. And, you know, when, when these coaching carousels began to spin, Eric Bieniemy looked as if he might be one of the first ones to get a job. And now what have you done for me lately? Lately, 31 to nine, everybody's talking about how he doesn't even call the plays and he is, he's no, no longer under contract with the Kansas city chiefs as, as far as I know, as we speak. Well, that's, that's just part of the Tom Brady effect. I mean, not only do things go right in Tom Brady's world, but if you go against Tom Brady, mm-hmm. you're done. 
Mm-hmm. They're done. Bill Belichick is done now. He's on the wrong side of Tom Brady. Jared Goff, nope, you are done. All right, Mahomes is probably done. The enemy is done. I'm, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's what happens. Yeah, he yeah. sucks yeah. All, all the good out of everyone. <laughs> yes, he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's uh, And he's not done. There's there's a lot more football to come. Let's <laughs> Hello, friends. So that's why right. Jim Nance doesn't want to get on the wrong side. That Jim Nance is in a very charmed career. Let's. let's he's also it. a free agent, I believe. Jim Nance is up for bidding and may jump as well to ESPN, where <laughs> he and Tom Brady will have their own uh, variety show. And Tom Brady should be the player coach if uh, Bruce Arian steps down. I don't know if we've had that in the NFL. Hmm. No, uh, we have not. Not, not <laughs> since Bronco Nagurski or someone like that. Um, ding. Ding. Thank you. Okay, well, we've covered it all. Insanity in Chapel Hill, predictability in Tampa, and, of course, the Todd Bowles era in New York. You knew we'd get to that. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this was uh, done at night, in case uh, you can't tell. Uh, you Why would you be able to tell? But uh, <laughs> if you think that uh, this was somehow... Uh, different or better or worse you know you can put that in the comment section too uh a little bit of a different energy in the evening and um i'm going to bed now but uh (laughs) (laughs) thanks again for listening for kimball crossley and tim crothers i'm mike berardino we'll see you next time